The first reading today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, the first 10 verses. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then please turn to Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. The gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you now, desiring to hear your words spoken. Lord, I pray that you would indeed enlighten our hearts so that we would see the Lord Jesus, that we would know the power of the resurrection for our lives. So, Lord, when we leave here, that we would indeed be able to truly hope in you, to have true joy, and to share that with others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome visitors to Chapel Street. Good morning, everyone else, well, and, the, and the visitors. Good morning to the people online and those that will listen later on the podcast. 
Um, I love Easter Sunday. I love standing here, but sitting where you are and receiving too. Um, it's a great day. And of course, Easter is every day, isn't it? Resurrection is for every day of the week. But we also get to say, he is risen. But I like that we can inflect that in different ways. We can pronounce some of those words with more force. We can say, he is risen. We can say, he is risen. Because it's a present continuous. It wasn't that he was raised to death, uh, to life from death and then died. And we can also say, he is risen. Good on you. And we say it every year, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's true that the resurrection is absolutely pivotal to Christianity. Christianity cannot survive in truth. We cannot survive without the resurrection. Without that as the key component with the rest of the cross, the rest of the gospel, it's meaningless. It's just a religion, like all the other religions. The resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? The crucifixion is the work of Christ going to the cross to fulfill the law, to pay the, the price that's required to be exacted for the sin of the world, for taking our sin upon his shoulders and being buried because of real death. And the resurrection is the piece of the story that proves that Christ was acceptable as the sacrifice. To get that, it demonstrates to us that Christ was the acceptable sacrifice. The great bishop of Liverpool in the 1800s, J.C. Ryle, said that the resurrection is the very foundation to Christianity. He says it was the seal of the great work that he came on earth to do. It was the crowning proof, the evidence that the ransom he paid for sinners was acceptable. The atonement of sin was accomplished. The head of him who had the power of death was bruised. And the victory was won. And the value of that payment that God approved of was immense, was stupendous in the right sense. I used to have a, a, an aunt who's long since gone now, <clears throat> who for birthdays would give me a present with the price tag on it. You ever got a family member that does that? <laughs> and I often used to think, why, why does she do that? You know, why does she leave the price tag on the book or, or whatever it may have been? Um, and I think in some ways she probably did that because she wanted me to know that she had gone to some expense uh, in some way to sort of demonstrate the level of her love for me. And uh, it was always a joke, you know, here's Auntie Althea's present, here's the price tag. But it did sort of show me a little bit of something of her love. And I would say, what's the price tag of God? <laughs> I love all these lights today, Kev. What's the price tag of God? We've heard about how the uh, righteousness of God is revealed through the cross. What is his price tag? 
And the price tag is Jesus. And Jesus' worth, his price, is infinite. <laughs> it doesn't have an end. The price tag isn't big enough, right? It goes on and on and on. And so Resurrection Day is essential to understand, to get a, a, a head around the value of Christ, but also to understand what it means for us today and tomorrow and the next day. And a Good Friday, Dave opened the word in Matthew 27, and we learned again how Jesus was handed over. He went through a false trial, a fake trial, that people just wanted him dead, no matter what the cost. And we heard about him being scourged and whipped and beaten, horrific things, and ultimately taken to the cross and nailed, a horrific way of killing someone, long suffering. We learned how he was mocked. And ultimately, he said those immortal words, right? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Cry of dereliction, as it's called. And he then, by his choice, gives up his life. Not the Romans or anyone else, not Satan, not the power of hell. Jesus gives up his life at his own command for himself. And so he's buried in a tomb and a stone, a great big stone is rolled in front of the, the doorway, as it were to the tomb and then as if that wasn't enough they, they send down guards don't they because they think well someone's going to come and steal jesus's body someone's going to come and say look he's not there he's risen and so they put guards there and today easter sunday we read the first half of matthew 28 and we see the other side of this gospel i love that it's the ladies I really love that the ladies go, Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary, whoever she was, people have different views about who she is, they go. The body of Christ has been in a grave. This is the third day. The Passover is finished, and they think, right, let's go up and let's anoint his body, because we couldn't do it on the Friday. The sun was going down, and the Passover feast was ready. The sacrifice in the temple needed to be made. And they go in the morning early, and there's an earthquake on the way. And an angel, who I think, until the, the Lord returns, gets one of the greatest jobs in history. An angel appears, and he rolls the stone open. Really? What a great job. I'd put my hand up for that if I was an angel. And the guards for all they're worth, fall down dead because they're so terrified of this angel. And then I love the picture that Matthew gives us. The angel sits on the stone <laughs> as a sort of, I don't know, kind of defiance there or something. It's an interesting picture. He comes and he rolls the stone open and he just sits down. Waiting for the women. And they come. They see that he's rolled the stone open. And the angel says, look, I know who you're seeking, Jesus, the Messiah. Have a look in the tomb. Didn't you come to anoint him in the tomb? Go and have a look. There's nobody there. Because he is risen. 
And he gets to say that first. He's risen. And they go in. And they see that the tomb is empty. And they leave quickly, it says. Did you hear what it said? With fear and great joy. And I want to say or ask at least, how did you come into church today? <laughs> did you come in with fear and great joy? I hope you did, because it's a fearful thing. We're talking about the raising of the Savior. We're talking about God who died for the sin of the world and was really dead because he was buried, coming back to life. Have you ever seen anyone come back to life? Me neither. It's a fearful thing, but it is a thing of full joy. And so I hope that you'll enter in now in a fearful way. We're going to do communion later. It's a fearful thing, but it's laced or weighed down with a profound joy. And I say to us all today that because Christ lives, we can live both now and we can live well now and eternally. Because the power of the resurrection causes us to have power and it causes God to have a power towards us to help us. And they're linked. So we're really going to look at Ephesians 1, that passage that Ros read for us there, Ephesians 1 verses 15 following, and I'll paraphrase and I'll draw us into a couple of the texts more deeply. Paul has spent a lot of time talking about the blessings that come to the church and the way that we bless the Father and our inheritance. And then he prays. He's overwhelmed by the um, faithfulness of the saints in Ephesus and the churches in Asia Minor. And he prays. He prays in just about every single um, letter, I think, except for Galatians, where he starts very differently. And he prays specifically because he's heard of their faith and their love towards all the saints. And he prays that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened so that they'll be able to perceive things, that God would, through the prayer, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And he tells them the things that they are to know from that spirit of wisdom and revelation. The first thing he tells them is that they will know something of the hope of the calling that they've been called by. That God calls people into the church. You know, that? He calls them out of slavery to sin into, as it were, slavery to Christ in a, in a positive way, to righteousness. And so he wants them to know the hope that there is in that, not the hopefulness. I hope this will work out well but the solid, sure, true hope that we have in Christ. He also wants them to know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, we haven't got time to dwell on these because I'm going to go somewhere else, but just think about that for a second. The riches, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you understand what that means? It's the, the rich thing that God gets from you <laughs> that's what it is he inherits you and there's something rich in that there's something rich in us the church the body of christ but i want to focus on the next few things that come in this passage so that we can understand the link between the power that is moving towards us in god and the power 
uh, in the resurrection. It's very important we get it. So let's read it again. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Um, Paul wants to remember, he wants them to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, to know, in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. There is a power that God has towards his church, towards his believers. Now, this expression towards us is really important uh, to understand. It isn't just that he's bringing power in our direction. The expression, which is an ancient expression, and we still have it today, is that he's doing something good for us. This idea that God brings something towards us is this idea that he's bringing a, a kind of present, a gift to us that is for our good. And it's powerful in this case. God's power as Christians works towards us for our good. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called. We believe, right, to his purpose. And his power works towards us for our good, for his glory. Firstly, through our salvation. And secondly, through our sanctification. The ongoing process. It's not just a power to save, is it? It's a power to grow in holiness. And what does that power do for us? Well, it does a lot of things. But here's just a few for us. That power that he brings or works towards us for our good brings hope. It brings joy. It brings peace from the Holy Spirit specifically. Romans 15 tells us very clearly, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Wow. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you hear that? Abound in it. You know, just have, not have a little bit of hope. Right? <laughs> His spirit is working a power in us. God is working a power towards us that we abound in hope, that we know the hope, that it becomes real to us. His power also, <clears throat> excuse me again, strengthens us, gives us endurance and patience and joy again. This is Colossians 1.9. And listen to this very carefully because it's very similar to the passage in Ephesians. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. It's the same deal, right? Same deal. And understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Say amen to that. But then he says, being strengthened as you do that. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, his glorious strength, his glorious power for all endurance and patience with joy. Power to live as well for Christ's glory. This is Second Thessalonians. To this end, says Paul, we always pray for you, same deal, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for your good. I did the word you're there. And every work of faith by his power. Now God is bringing this power towards, towards us constantly for our good. And you say, great. Well, what does that have to do with the resurrection, Sam? 
We know God's working a power towards us, but what has it got to do with the resurrection? Well, back to verse 19, I'll read it again. That Paul wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to, hmm, power according to the working of his great might. Wow. Wants us to know something about the greatness of this power. Well, how would you describe the greatness of his power? Well, he does it for us. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There it is. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's power, isn't it? That's power. It's the same power. The power that he works towards you is the same power that he used to raise God, uh, Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you get it? It's the same power. There's not a different power. There aren't two streams of power. You know, we're not very good at electrics, but if you've got 230 volts, is it in Australia? 240. All right, 10 shy. 240 volts from here. And the, the, the wall going to a light over there. The light goes on. You've got the power. You can see it. If you've got 105 or 5 volts going to a, a light over here, you can't see it. Those do not accord. Right? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is it's the same power. The power that saves you, the power that God works towards you, is the power that he used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. There's no difference. That's got to be powerful. It's got to be. Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. who's dead. What kind of power are you going to use to bring him back? Five volts? The analogy of electricity isn't very good at this point, but you get my, my point. It's according to the same power. It's not a picture of it. It's not maybe like the power. It is the power. It's the same power. Let me ask you a basic question about the power. What's the quantity of it? How much is there? And what's the quality of it? Well, the quantity of God's power is infinite, isn't it? He's not. A little bit powerful. He's all powerful. It's infinite. And Job, as an example, came to know that. I love Job. Had everything going for him as a righteous man. He was uh, doing extremely well on the farm and um, had a great family. Everything was tickety boo. And then, um, by God's allowing, Satan comes and changes that. He loses his family, almost all his family. He loses his livelihood, his farm, his animals. He gets covered with boils and goes around mourning and weeping. And worse than that, he's got these annoying friends that come around and try and sort him out. It's a lesson there for us, right? And he eventually kind of gets to the point where perhaps he wants to go to God and say, you know, what, what's the go here, Lord? It's, you know, it's, things are going really well and just want to point out they're not so good for me now and the lord god says to him gird up your your loins like a man job see if you can stand before me who is this that darkens my counsel darkens my door where were you when i flung the stars into space where were you when i named them all come on job you're immortal but i'm an all-powerful god Psalm 147 puts it like this. He, referring to God, determines the number of the stars. He's the one who says how many stars there are. And he gives them all a name. 
great is our Lord, listen, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The quantity of God's power is infinite. God simply is all powerful and there is no end to his power. He's not powerful for a season. He's a powerful God for all time. And the quality of that power? Well, it's power that can take any circumstance and make it good. Any evil and make it good. Isn't that the cross? Isn't that what the cross is? Think about it for a second. The cross is the single most evil act ever perpetrated. Now, I know that God is in control of it, but he's also submitting himself to it. The sin of the world, that's evil. That's what it is. The Satan's there doing whatever he's doing. We, we did enough on our own to crucify the Messiah. And it looks like abject failure. He saved others, let him come down and save himself. That's the way they're mocking him. But what is it in reality? <laughs> it's the greatest victory ever, isn't it? We just sung about it. It's the greatest victory ever. That's the quality of God's power. Take something that's evil and makes it good. Makes it turn out for our goodness, for his wonderful glory. And that's the same power that is working towards us, this towards us thing for our good. It's the same power. And you know what that means? It means it won't fail. It won't miss the target. You won't need to have another go. It won't get it wrong. It will work. It is efficacious. Its end is exactly what he wants for your good and his glory. Amen. And we need God to work powerfully towards us, don't we? Anybody here not need God to work powerfully for them? We do. We all need it. We need that resurrection power in our lives. We can't become a Christian and just say, you know what? Everything's going to be wonderful now. Everything's going to be just dandy. You may not say that exactly. It's going to be great. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. There's going to be nothing wrong in my life. I'm going to just do anything I want. And everything's going to be super. But the truth is God lets hard things happen to Christians as well as non-Christians. Don't believe the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. It's a lie. No church gets sanctified by health, wealth, and prosperity. It doesn't. He lets hard things happen to both Christians and non-Christians. You know, everything around us is broken, starting with us. The world is fallen, is damaged. Yes, we're a new creation. I get that. But we're still in the old sinful body. Still creaking and groaning. Humankind at its best is weak. It is impotent. It has no power of its own. Although we think it does. We're beset with, I've got aging down here. And uh, you might think that's just the older people, but that's all of us. Super young people like me, uh, from the four year old to the 40 to the 80 year old, right? 
82, getting close. We're aging and it aches, it hurts, things go wrong, we get illness. We get disabilities in some form or another. Sometimes people are born in that way. We have mental health issues, we're emotionally broken. We have broken families, there is war in some countries, there is warring between people in ours. There's strife relationally, there are natural disasters, there are struggles against sin, there are struggles to know joy, and sometimes we just know despair. Like you'll never get through this, but this is just too hard. It's completely legitimate to feel that way. Sometimes you come to a church and it isn't joy. It isn't fear and joy, it's sorrow and fear. Does that resonate with any of you? Because that's just my list, right? We're all in some way struggling and we need that power. And I want to encourage you on this Resurrection Sunday to remind you how God's power is working for you and for your good. How God's power that is the same power in the resurrection is working towards you. Let's start with this. That power has moved you from being spiritually dead to the absolute sense of spiritual life in Christ. It's moved you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. It works to sanctify you through the suffering, through the hardship, through the pain, but with hope. It causes us to persevere through the trials. That power is building you up as a community of faith. Do you realize that? It's not just building you up individually. It's building, that's what we are, a community of faith, the body of Christ. It's building us up together. It's teaching us how to have real fellowship with one another. It promises a perfect future home, doesn't it? In my father's house are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you so that when I come back, I can take you to be with me there. That's a power, isn't it? If it were not true, says the Lord, I love this expression, I wouldn't have told you. <laughs> I don't tell you lies. It promises one day perfect human bodies, amen. Perfect human bodies. It's a great hope eternally, and it's a significant help in the present time. It's the power that brings comfort from the gospel. It's the same power that fuels your faith day by day. It's the power to bring you spiritual gifts. Do you know that's the power to bring you spiritual fruit. You're not doing any of that yourself. And the word of God has power. That's part of it. That's how you know the value of the price tag, isn't it? I can't just point you at a wooden cross on the wall here. We read the word and it's telling us that this is a this is the infinite God, Jesus Christ. It works through the word, it works through the indwelling Holy Spirit in our inner being. So be encouraged this morning. There's a power at work within you, but there's one other thing we've got to look at here. Did you see it? It's a big thing, but it resonates again or it sources the same power. Just jump back again, Ephesians 1, verse 20. The power 
that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. That's what the power did. Do you get it? The power didn't just raise Jesus to walk around here with us now. It's to put him back where he belongs so that he can come again. And he reigns. And that's how the power works. That's how the power works towards us. If Christ isn't reigning, the power can't work because he's the one that's sovereignly controlling history to make sure that everything that happens ultimately from evil brings good and glory to him. And if he's not reigning, it can't happen. And that's how the power works. Hallelujah. Jesus is reigning, right? Isn't that just amazing? And more than that, it says he puts him in the heavenly places and he puts that power so that he's above all rule and all authority and all other powers and all other dominions and above every name that's named, whether it's Winston Churchill or Anthony Albanese or any other big, or not any other despots, or people who are big leaders who might be despotic in history. And you think, wow, those people have got powers. The current uh, ruler of North Korea, has he got any power? Not without God's power above him, controlling history. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead put him in the heavenly places to rule. Because a resurrected Christ is a reigning Christ. And a resurrected and reigning Christ is a returning Christ. And so without the resurrection, that stuff that's coming isn't going to come. And he reigns and he reigns. And you can trust him completely because his power is working towards you for your good. Do you believe that, Chapel Street? Reigning Christ is a returning Christ. There's no authority above him because he was worth it. He was approved as acceptable for your sin in our place. Oh, the resurrection is everything. All men and women are born to die. They're all born in sin. One day you will die unless the Lord returns. If you don't know Christ, you will go to a place where he isn't, to a place where there is fire, unquenchable fire, and eternal punishment, and I may say eternal regret. You know, uh, at Christmas I was with my mum and I was desperate to share the gospel with her. And that's sometimes uh, not as easy as it sounds, even for me, with a big mouth. And I thought, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be with her for a few weeks. I'll take my time and I'll go through it carefully and I'll keep reminding her of each bit as we go through. So she got hours of this and eventually got to the resurrection. And I just said to her, Mum, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you know what she said? She said, yeah. What a shock. That's not saving faith, by the way. And she then said to me, but lots of people have been raised from the dead. Oh, wow. I don't know about lots, but I do know about some. They're all raised by God. But the difference is, mum, they died. They raised to life and then died again at some point. But not so with Jesus. He didn't go back to the grave again. Why? 
because he destroyed it. He's the victor over sin and death, isn't he? Death no longer has any sin, any sting. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? There isn't any. <laughs> he didn't die again. And she didn't get that. But he's raised from the dead eternally. He reigns eternally. He's coming again because of that. He lives. He lives. And because I live, he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's the power. And we conclude with just two pieces of scripture, one that's been read for us already, which is clearly the work of God. Psalm 46, we know, well, God is our refuge and our strength. You know what the, word, the meaning of the word strength is? I checked it out in Hebrew. Power. God is our refuge and our power. He's our strength. He's our power. A very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even if the earth gives way. Even if the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam through, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Because there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, and God is in the midst of her. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. Because he reigns. And lastly, just to hit this home for you and for me, I want you to know that his power is towards you and it's in you. Have a listen again. I bow the knee. I bow the knee, says Paul, before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth, that's us, is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says this. Now to him, to that God, to that reigning, raised Jesus Christ, to him who is able to do, I love the old English, exceeding abundant beyond. He hasn't got the words to say exceeding abundant beyond all we ask or imagine. According to, it's the same word, in accordance with the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations for ever and ever and ever and ever friends that's the power at work in you who believe he is risen he is risen he is risen thank you jeff let's pray Again, our 
great, gracious, merciful, loving God and Father, we want to thank you again this morning for Jesus. Father, we want to thank you that you are a God who planned everything from the beginning and has ultimate power to bring all things about for your glory. Father, we thank you that on Resurrection Sunday, we can just reflect again for a while to see and savor the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the power in the resurrection, the power to cause him to ascend to the high places, to be above every name and every other power and dominion. But Lord, that that power should come and work in us, towards us, for our good is just amazing. I want to thank you for that reality, Lord. I want you, I want us to really draw into that and understand that such that we do have hope in our struggles, that we can persevere and we can really know joy and be strengthened. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.